0: Welcome to the 5G Decretory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds.
1: People, 40 minutes, uh, and very intriguing topic. So I'm giving now the floor to Johannes. Thank
2: you very much. Um, uh, Welcome to the bleeding edge of AI, as the panel is called. Um, we have brought together an extraordinary and functionally diverse panel of experts from both sides of the Atlantic to just start slightly probing into how AI is shaping our world and how it will increasingly do so. We recognize that there are many panels and discussions of AI and about AI, and as we tried hard to bring you something unique. The field of AI is an ecosystem with many different types of human players who interact, and as we have tried to find representatives from various ecological niches of AI, that rarely come together in one panel. Dr. Anima Anandkumar is professor at Caltech, and as such, she represents the academic research part of the AI lifecycle, where much of the initial work is done that feeds into the applied work. She is also the research director at NVIDIA, which is much of, uh, where, where much of the hardware that is used to run our algorithms, including robotics and uh, embodied intelligences are born. None of what I could say um, would do her work justice and I'm incredibly honored to speak with her today. Um, this, is, of course, applies to all of our wonderful panelists. Um, Anastasios Gavras also has conducted close to three decades of academic and industry research. He has coordinated large EU-funded uh, projects like FiStar and Rethink, all in the area of uh, future internet. Anastasios currently uh, serves as the project and program manager at Euroscom, which, is, uh, which has its mission To enable innovation through collaboration currently he is involved in the coordination of several 5g related projects constantinos botsaris has over a decade of uh, consulting experience and he founded and is now leading the digital innovation team of kpmg cyprus there kpmg cyprus is the management team uh, is in the management team of the management and consulting department Konstantinos is thus experienced and applied problem-solving in the areas of artificial intelligence and machine learning. He belongs thus to that part of the ecosystem that assists organizations in building real and working systems to optimize their processes. He takes the technology from the lab and controlled experiments out into the wild. Nathan cruz Carlson has led key projects for tech startups and social enterprises in and around London, UK, for about a decade. So he represents the important startup and social enterprise accelerator niche in the ecosystem. He currently serves as the senior technologist for responsible and ethical AI at the Digital Catapult. In particular, I had the great pleasure to work with and learn from him at the Machine Intelligence Garage, acceleration program for AI, start, uh, AI startups in which my startup partook. At the MI Garage, Nathan is and has been the technical lead focused, uh, focused on the responsible adoption of AI Here, he will help us to probe one of the most bleeding edges in this area, human-centered AI, which really all AI should be, but uh, this is, in practice, a quite tricky undertaking. Now, let me ask my questions to our panelists. And I I want to start with you, Dr. Anand Kumar. Um, uh, um, And and this question, uh, how do you define intelligence? And, And in what ways could or should this be considered an attribute of machines at this moment in the near future, and also in the far future.
3: Yeah, um, good morning, or rather uh, good afternoon or good evening, uh, depending on the time zone you're joining from. Uh, it's morning here <laughs> in California. I, you know so in terms of like intelligence, right? Uh, I mean, to me, a short definition is the ability to learn and adapt. So the key is learning. So if you you could have a really impressive Pre programmed system, you know, like if you've seen Boston Dynamics robot doing backflips or all fancy moves, right? If it's only programmed to do that, that's not called intelligence, right? So the intelligence is that ability to learn from the environment and adapt and change the behavior. And that we see with all kinds of organisms, including viruses or bacteria. Right, so there is a lot of biological intelligence. And when it comes to the artificial intelligence, we still have a long way to go, right? So the way I think about different levels of intelligence, right, so in the human brain, uh, you know, there is cognitively like what we call two systems. So there is system one and system two. So if you read Daniel Kahneman's uh, book on thinking fast and thinking slow, Right, so the system one is instinctive and this is what even lower organisms, biological organisms have, right? The ability to quickly react to changing surroundings. You know, if a predator is chasing you, you have to run, right? So, and you have to adapt. Uh, so that's the system one, right? Whereas system two is the deeper rational thinking and reasoning, you know? And so that's something that uniquely humans possess Uh, And that's a much harder one, right? Like, you know, we are able to derive laws of physics. We are able to invent new mathematics. uh, We're able to, of course, right, uh, understand our own mind to a large extent. So that consciousness and the ability to uh, reason uh, is, I think, a much deeper ability. And that's where, you know, the current systems are far from that. In fact, some of the recent benchmarks we proposed uh, show that there is a very big gap in how humans can, uh, you know, very easily, say, perceive abstract shapes, right? If you give, uh, if you show people a set of shapes that have sharp edges versus another set with curved edges, I mean, and they can have very different, like, you know, actual shapes, but this is one property that separates them right? Humans can do this abstract reasoning very easily, right? Even a child can do it. Uh, But for machines, (laughs) this is very difficult, because they currently rely more on pattern recognition, you know, learning specific features and saying, that's what a shape stands for. So this context dependent reasoning where the same shape could represent different things depending on the context is much harder for the machines to do. Uh, We're starting to make progress, but there is still a long way here.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, that's that's a very um, great answer. I, I also would like to ask you something quite a bit different, and I think you're uniquely able to answer this. And, and, and you know, we're in a 5G uh, and IoT type of conference. Uh, why should people in this particular audience uh, care about AI?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, we are now heading to the possibility of a smart everything revolution, right? So where uh, the smart AI is not just locked in in the cloud, but is coming to the edge, right? So this is the panel on the bleeding edge. So how do Mm -hmm. we get um, uh, AI to be uh, in smart, uh, you know, like add, intelligence to edge devices you know they would have limited battery they could uh, be not always connected right and and when they are how do we ensure that there is information flow you know how much should the processing be done on the cloud how much should be done on the edge right and and especially if there are privacy constraints uh, you know then how do we do federated learning how do we maintain privacy you know, and of course security, right? So now this is no longer a cloud somewhere locked away, but uh, uh, edge devices that are prone to uh, manipulation or attacks. So I think that opens up a lot of problems that AI, you know, has the potential to tackle. Um, So at NVIDIA, we recently announced uh, several new products and services that are very relevant to 5g if you followed our ceo jensen Huang's uh, keynote at gtc uh, two weeks ago um, you would have come across you know these announcements one of them is the quantum 2 which is the new InfiniBand band uh, networking capability for uh, you know not just um now getting cloud native supercomputing capabilities. so you know getting the cloud and the supercomputer capabilities all in one, right but also the ability for data centers to connect with communications um, because now this has nanosecond capabilities of uh, servicing. So networking is indeed the our nervous system right of any s- setting. And uh, with five um, uh, G, we require fast networking amongst devices, and uh, you know, hand, making first the cloud very much capable of seamlessly working with telecommunication centers to serve five G is one side of the things. The other side is now on edge AI. How do we enable AI that is now much smaller? Right? It's you cannot just have big models. How do we compress them? and how do we take care of capabilities like uh, federated learning. And this is where uh, we have NVIDIA Clara for healthcare uh, that enables federated learning at scale. In fact, um, when um, in the beginning of the pandemic last year, uh, 20 hospitals uh, very quickly built an AI model for patient care. Uh, using federated learning because you know, but if they had to try and share the data across hospitals, that would have taken a really long time or even been impossible due to HIPAA regulations. Uh, but with federated learning, you can quickly obtain these gains while maintaining privacy of data. Um, so that's another important capability. Um, the other is, of course, the hardware itself, and this is where you know, NVIDIA's Jetson family, Jetson and Xavier, gives a range of possibilities, right? So from Jetson Nano, which, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, is really like, you know, a great educational tool as well, you know, getting people to easily prototype um, and uh, hobbyists can use it for a range of uh, different projects to Xavier that can, have capabilities for video processing on device and you know have like delivery vehicles and other uh, smart bots uh, be enabled, uh, we have this hardware, right? And it's not just the hardware, it's the platform that enables seamlessly training on the cloud to the edge. So this is, I think, another aspect of it. So as you see, there is a rich ecosystem here, first enabling the cloud itself to a function with telecommunication centers to serve 5G very seamlessly, and uh, you know have compression on 5G, have video on 5G uh, that is very efficient. Uh, to also enabling on the edge, uh, you know different aspects of AI like federated learning to energy efficient AI.
2: Thank you very much, um, Professor Anand Kumar. I, I really appreciate this. I have to speed it up trying to speed it up a little bit now um, because we have limited very limited time so um, let me direct this one to um, Konstantinos can you tell us about an AI solution you are or have been developing and tell us about some of the positive and negative uh, side effects some of them might uh, have had uh, or could have
4: Uh, thank you good afternoon everyone and thank you Anima for for these exciting insights of what is going on in terms of yeah. AI research? Uh, from my side, uh, um, I'm mostly on the practical side. Let's say we're leveraging this kind of technology. So in order to deliver actual production, let's say systems. Uh, so what we've been doing lately is that we're working with one of our telco clients uh, to actually leverage uh, machine learning and you know for demand forecasting to maximize their profitability. And the goal is to optimize. Their prices so uh, how do we usually uh, usually start doing that is of course it's a data-driven exercise so what we have been doing in this specific use case is to leverage a diverse set of both internal but also in this use case we also uh, leverage external data uh, market specific data from the specific uh region where where we uh, we have combined uh, together to try and cover the relationship between uh, profitability and price and, of course different and other uh, factors um, it's not uh, usually when you embark in these kind of problems is not uh, a straightforward process so uh, you have to manage the stakeholders uh, you have to also be creative and in in this specific use case and in most others it seems that uh we, do, we are not liking in terms of modeling and what we are uh, what we need to be focusing is more on the data uh, aspect of things so Uh, for us it was um, different machine learning models working together but we in order to have a breakthrough and in order to deliver such a solution that brings everything together we need to be quite creative in the future engineering aspect of things so uh, once you have a a clear understanding of your domain uh, and you uh, work on the data side of things then you can eventually deliver these things in production so at um, the end we were able to uh, link different uh, parameters uh, coming from sales coming from consumer behavior and also price uh, because that was the ultimate let's say a goal optimized prices and then we were able to actually uh, model uh, demand in a fairly accurate and acceptable level and then uh, price being part of, of the feature space and the different uh, engineer features, we were able to introduce an optimization on top so that the, the customer has this kind of flexibility to be able to experiment uh, with different parameters that see the effect and also have real-time advice on what uh, would be the optimal prices to send in a portfolio of products uh, to maximize revenue uh, profitability. So, um less or from this specific exercise, I would say Definitely, the human factor is quite important uh, throughout the progress of development. Uh, we had uh, we 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 needed to to make sure that our stakeholders and the subject matter experts from the client side were on board. I mean, uh, interpretability was quite important, and we need to come up with different analysis to showcase that this actually works and that the parameters that actually contribute in this uh, optimization problem. Uh, make sense for them uh, and also of course the benefits it's uh, you can have uh, introduce automation uh real-time decision making and and of course uh, be able uh, to 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 have a benefit in such a competitive market so uh, i would say that was more or less for for a, uh, one of our use cases thank you and and uh, w- which which are the main trends that you are
2: observing right now in the industry um,
4: Y- you know, in mm. the applied AI space. Excellent, thank you. So, um, I would say based also on our experiences, and and uh, there is a trend that is actually saying that we need to move towards a more data-centric AI. And actually, what we've been doing uh, in production, uh, it's it's actually clarifies this. So, uh, as I mentioned before, um, I mean, uh, there are quite bright minds out there working on the modeling, coming up with new uh, you know, machine learning models and families that can actually be applied uh, in different problems. But uh, what needs to be done, and, and and what we see in practice is that uh, we need to uh, actually focus on how we can, um, let's say, transform our data, uh, come up with actual uh, innovations and tools that can actually help us on that aspect. Uh, because uh, in practice, usually these. Um, some of the times is quite uh, important and actually introduces new breakthroughs. So uh, it doesn't make sense uh, to actually rebuild the whole, uh, you know, the the tools out there. I mean, uh, those have been developed quite extensively, and a lot of research has been focusing on that. Uh, usually, what's the the key is to actually see. Uh, the problem domain and actually see how you can introduce more efficient uh, data gathering processes, data labeling processes, and see how through different techniques can actually um, leverage, let's say, more complete or more quality uh, training data sets. So this is one of the areas that actually in practice uh, works quite well, uh, and there's a huge trend now, talking about data-centric AI. Uh, which is uh, quite interesting. And of course, uh, on the other hand, there is also uh, another trend, which is about ethical and responsibility. I believe some of my uh, co-panelists are going to be uh, also sharing some insights into this. It's very important to, to be able, uh, in order to make those solutions you know, more mainstream and to be accepted by individuals' organizations. Uh, to introduce trust. So, explainability is quite important aspects, being able to explain how these uh, complex uh, machine learning models actually work to a customer, or even to the regulators some of the time. So, there are applications where you have to be explicitly providing insights of how your solution works. Uh, And also, when we're seeing these uh, new areas of application, uh, new legal or reputational risks are in place. So, we need to be able to know exactly how the technology works and, and be comfortable that no decisions are taken outside, let's say, any ethical or legal boundaries. As KPMG, on this specific aspect, we've been working quite a few years now. So, we have developed uh, a relevant framework, which is called KPMG AI in Control. Uh, It covers two, uh, let's say, uh, it has like two uh, domains. The first is a a governance and management framework, which actually provides a holistic approach to managing the risk of introducing such solutions and giving guidance to the audited compliance community, while on the other hand, a more technical one, which uh, assures and and evaluates whether an AI model has been uh, developed and built correctly uh and identify exceptions that the stakeholders should be aware of so those are the two uh from my uh up to now experience trends that i see coming more and more in the future
2: thanks thank you very much um also um let me let me then ask um anastasios um um how how are you seeing ai technology being applied in 5g and web3 projects currently And also, uh, could you project that into the future?
5: Okay, thank you very much, uh, Johannes. And thank you to the previous uh, panelists for their insight. Uh, It's uh, indeed very, very interesting. Uh, There are some slides being there, projected there, but I don't think I will use them. So the, um, I don't know, the central technical management of the system can, can just remove them. I will not use my slides. Um, anyway, uh, so the, uh, the current trend, what we observe in, uh, in uh, the use of AI-ML, uh, especially in the telecoms uh, world, um, and I'm speaking now um, basically uh, on, um, based on the results of a, of a kind of a survey or a white paper, if you like, that we wrote uh, a couple of uh, months ago, um, trying to 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 understand how AI and uh, machine learning is actually used in in research projects in the 5G context. So 5G PVP is the the program of the European Commission and the European industry uh, towards 5G. What we saw there is uh, basically a kind of a full um, spread of different AI and ML methods that uh, in some way have been have been used and introduced in the in the, in the solution, in the prototypes, in the demonstrators, and uh, also in close to operational systems um, in, the, um, in, the, in the different projects. Now, uh, as an example, there is a lot of uh, work that has been done uh, using uh, AI and machine learning in the area of uh, network planning, forecasts, and diagnostics. Now, this has been uh, already mentioned, that um, this type of applications or use cases are uh, kind of uh, very accessible to to uh, to AI and ML, but there is um, a, a whole range of additional uh, use cases that currently, um, well, we try them out, but they are not so easy accessible, and that uh, has been pointed uh, pointed out by by Anima in the in the beginning. Uh, these are use cases that have very a uh, very important real-time or near real-time element and uh, in this case we need uh, solutions that uh, basically give us gives us uh, you know the response to uh, you know a request uh, within milliseconds or even nanoseconds uh we are talking about real-time uh uh, radio access network resource provisioning or max scheduling, traffic steering, and so on, at uh, the gigabit uh, or even terabit in the future speeds that uh, these things happen, you can imagine how fast uh, some of these uh, um, systems need to, to, to react. Um, so uh, there are a couple of uh, other architectural aspects uh, as well that, uh, that uh, come into the, the picture here. Uh, There has been a a large discussion about, or a large, if you like, set of requirements with respect to uh, management of the models, of the underlying models. Uh, What are the interfaces we need there to manage the lifecycle of the models? Uh, But also, very often, uh, the standardization aspects. Uh, Standardization is a bit uh, wide here, but when we talk about standardization, at least in the telecoms world, um, uh, in 5G, in the core network, there is one uh, uh, so-called uh, network data analytics function that is attracting uh, lots of attentions right now because it is the point where uh, one could retrieve, uh, you know, data from what's going on at the network, which can be used for uh, processing in the in the well in the AI and the and the ML. Now, a lot of concerns we see, of course, in privacy and in trustworthy AI. Uh, The privacy, I guess, we will uh, discuss this uh, later on. Um, But the trustworthiness is uh, uh, also something that uh, uh, is kind of a, 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 if you like, a strange beast here, because uh, on the one side we want to um, uh, allow Um, takeover of the machine um, for controlling and managing the whole network on the other side we still want to maintain the human in the loop now how this is going to to actually be practically implemented is at least for me still an open question so this is uh, if you like not not yet solved Uh, i mean full automation and still a human in the loop is kind of um, a small oxymoron well, you, you, I feel like
2: you've, you've almost answered the second question, which is uh, you know how, uh, what are the main obstacles you see currently with AI and the EU strategies? Uh, I mean, maybe maybe not,
5: actually. Well, so, not really. I mean, there are a number of more obstacles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the <laughs> biggest obstacles is actually the availability of large data sets to train the, the algorithms. Now, the telcos, um, of course, uh, have a lot of data at their disposal. But they are extremely reluctant to uh, to give them uh, to open them for 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 use uh, and also for training uh, algorithms, especially because they are worried about the privacy part. Uh, this data may contain, or not may, but certainly contain a lot of privacy-related uh, information, but also business-related information. For example, uh, like internal network topologies of the of 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 a network of a whole network. So this is something that. Uh, Uh, operators, not only the telecom operators, but any other network operators would uh, not that easily want to share. Right. So this is one of the biggest uh, uh, problem that we have. Um, uh, One um, one other problem that uh, that we have is, of course, the uh, but it was mentioned is the explainability. So what or how do we explain how uh, the AI is actually, you know, Uh, working Uh, and uh, also with that uh, comes also the the resilience in the the ai Uh, and this is the loop that closes to the human in the loop Um, what if you know the ai module goes amok right so that's why uh, especially in the telecoms world people want to still have you know a button where they can stop the machine and say okay let's take over from uh, an operator so an operator in the network uh in case uh, you know the machine goes amok so this goes into the resilient part of of the eye uh yeah these are these are pretty much the main obstacles that uh, i see uh, currently or we saw uh, at least as a result of this white paper that we have uh, uh produced and which is available at the, vi- the 5gpp.eu website so you can go there and uh, uh via the uh, white papers you can download this paper it's quite a massive uh, amount of, uh, of uh, work, but um, for some, it may be worthwhile you know, scanning through.
2: Well, this all, um, thank you very much, um, Anastasios, and I think this really leads well into the questions I have for uh, Nathan. Um, uh, when, when you develop algorithms, you, you tend to build them for a specific business purpose. And, and I wanted to ask you, and this is a bit subtle question here, I think, to what degree you think that the biases, risks, and dangers are the result of the business model, and to what degree are they the result of something specific to AI or technology, uh, for that matter?
0: Thanks, Yanis, and thank you to, to all the panelists so far. They're really interesting um, perspectives. Um, so, I, I think that, um, of course, uh, you start off with the uh, the, the cop-out answer, which is, it depends, of course, on the use case. However, I think that um, uh, typically, uh, in my experience, it leans more towards um, the uh, the business problem and the framing of the problem, because, um, you know, very often, if you don't have uh, a good enough idea of what you want to solve, and it's well-enveloped in the sense that you understand um, the, the, the factors Um, do you want to capture in the real world? Do you want to reflect in your model? And you understand that that is sufficiently captured by the data that you're collecting. Um, If you haven't really thought about that in a deep enough and broad enough way, then um, there can be any number of problems uh, coming from, for example, um, bias in the data and the way it's collected, um, you know, factors that you have not um, measured directly might show up through other variables. Um, So, uh, in a way, if you uh, if you don't kind of thoroughly think through kind of your um, the problem space what you're trying to achieve and can you represent um, uh, you know the, the problem accurately with the data you have then it's not the fault necessarily of the algorithm you choose uh, depending on some some factors uh, um, you know the data itself to just to go back to uh, um, uh you know uh, talk about uh, data-centric AI um, you know, there isn't really uh, a, a technical solution to, um, like, a bad data set that doesn't represent the problem well. Um, you, you can't kind of, like, select from one of, you know, hundreds of potential uh, models out there to, um, to, to solve that, uh, you're, you're likely to end up with a bad solution.
2: Thank you. And uh, so then this brings me to the very last question. And I think, uh, yeah, so um, what, what should the product development and view um, be, or process uh, of the, the business development process be, um, uh, organized in order to deeply address human ethical issues, rather than just apply generic quick fixes that may not actually work or backfire?
0: so um, in the experience that we've had um, at the uh, digital catapult kind of ethics program and and acceleration programs what we've found is that um, it's extremely valuable to uh, first of all uh, bring in some some outside experts for example uh, in our ethics committee um, so that uh, teams can actually be challenged on their preconceptions their assumptions um, before they, they, they go ahead with the, with the um, with the production process because very often especially in a startup context you you have tunnel vision you want to go to solve your problem you want to think about some um, some potential uh, deeper issues later you know even if you don't consciously think it, it it's, it's it's very much there um, and sometimes you need to slow down accept, um, the need to uh, answer really um, broad questions about, you know, what are your kind of clear benefits for what you're actually doing? Should you be doing this in the first place? Um, you know, how uh, do you have the right perspectives in your team in terms of a diverse team? Are you reaching out to the stakeholders that might be um, uh, negatively impacted by your solution? Have you thought through the consequences, intended and unintended, of your of your solution if it reached um, a certain scale? and um, thinking about these uh these questions early in a a product development process um actually um probably helps increase the success um of that project because you're able to navigate those risks you're able to understand um you know more deeply what the potential benefit of that solution is uh before you even start building it and for that you do need to have an open attitude you need to engage with um with who might be affected who might help you with this with this solution um, and where you might get uh, the best uh, data set, for example. Um, So I think engaging with these ethical processes is is really important for good uh, AI product development.
2: Thank you very much, Nathan. That uh, was a very very interesting discussion. It was not uh, as much as a discussion as I would have wished. but um, you know, uh, we, we we did what we could, and so now we should open up the um, the, the floor for uh, for Q and A, basically. Um, how I don't know how this process works.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this process works. That I jump in, in uh, into your <laughs> discussion here. Uh, to, be honest, to be honest, we don't have uh, questions, particularly for this session, from the audience. But what I see from the poll, because we asked people, uh, what should be the main driver for uh, AI development? And uh, actually, one third said protection of data. Another one third, almost 40%, actually said uh, availability of data. And then few said cost reduction and profit. So uh, we saw the votes be distributed rather evenly. Right. So uh, I think we can use the uh, remaining four minutes uh, to wrap up the discussion. So I leave that uh, to you, Johannes.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> Spontaneous. Um, well, I just want to thank everyone. If, if anyone of you wants to answer something someone else said, uh, maybe this would be a great time to do it. Or ask something to anyone of uh, someone else in this panel.
5: Well, I mean, um, maybe I can ask a question to the panelists. Um, how can we achieve one of the biggest problems that I mentioned, namely the availability of large uh, data sets for training uh, our algorithms? I mean, I know in some areas that exist reference data uh, in the, for example, in the in the imaging. Uh, uh, space, but uh, in many other spaces, I don't know of reference data, large data sets.
0: Um, I'll, I'll, I'll venture an answer there and refer um, also to uh, Anima's um, reference to federated learning. I think that there's uh, definitely potential in um, more industrial kind of co- uh, collaboration um, uh, to make a large data sets available through privacy-preserving machine learning. Um, Frameworks like federated learning, um, and this is something that we've noticed as well. Uh, so we have a, we have also an open source um, federated learning uh, library, and it's designed to be fra- framework agnostic. So it's just to, so that um, so companies can try federated learning, and if they wanted to collaborate on a piece of uh, on a data set, they all share similar parts of it. Um, they can get started. And I think that um, we need to explore you know, solutions like that because um, typical centralization of data is, is very difficult to achieve in a lot of sectors.
2: Um, anyone want to add something to that?
1: <laughs> Johannes, it's, it's okay. Uh, I think we can conclude with this. Uh, according to our schedule actually, we should finish anyways. So Thank you so much for uh, moderating this discussion and uh, thank you all.